Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I'm so glad you've chosen to listen in this week. As we continue to consider what it means for us to be a community of faith, I want to continue on from where we left off last week, when we considered what it means to be a community of communities. If we are going to find connection, belonging, and our place in God's mission in the household of God, to use Paul's imagery, who's going to lead these smaller communities? Hey church, today's Bible reading comes from Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So here's where we've been. I believe that God is inviting us to reimagine what it means for us to be the community of faith. And that's not just because of the circumstances we find ourselves in. We have, of course, had to reimagine gathered worship as an online experience. For all of its benefits and for all of the things that we might not like too much about it, it's been a reimagining experience. But I think there's a deeper invitation for us to go beyond just uh, the disruption to our regular gatherings to consider what it means for us to be the community of faith. And so three weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter 8. Uh, and uh, just observed the simple fact that when the church was scattered uh, due to the persecution of the believers in Jerusalem, it didn't lead to a curtailment of the ministry. It didn't lead to a pause in the effectiveness. Instead, the church scattered actually meant that the church began to grow exponentially as every single believer, wherever they went, took the gospel with them. They took responsibility and leadership for the ministry and mission that Jesus had entrusted to them and took it wherever they went. It brings discipleship into the foreground for us, the importance of what it means for us to be followers of Jesus. And it was that idea that we then explored uh, just a couple of weeks ago, that while we may be scattered, while we may be apart physically, there is something that unites us, and it's that we are followers of Jesus. And that central idea, that central activity, our participation uh, in in, in all that he has called us to unites us. And then last week, I began to, uh, to introduce to us the idea that we are more than just a community of faith, but that we can reimagine ourselves as a community of communities, of smaller family units, of the household of God, the imagery that Paul uses quite extensively uh, in the New Testament. 
And one of the things that um, most excites me about the idea of being a community of communities, a, a community of faith that finds our identity, our sense of belonging, uh, who pursues discipleship as we follow after Jesus, who looks to participate with what God is doing uh, in those smaller households, those communities of faith. One of the things that I find so exciting about that is that everyone can find their place in the mission of God. And a community of faith uh, made up of a number of other communities uh, that, uh, that are made up of individuals who know their place just sounds amazing to me. Now that in involvement of finding our place in God's mission, I think that kind of has two edges to it. On the one hand, <clears throat> you have the involvement in the renewing work of Jesus. The opportunities that we have to be salt and light in our families in our neighborhoods, in our schools, and in our workplaces, where we look for those opportunities that Jesus invites us into to love and to serve and to care for and pray for those who might be on some kind of journey of faith or who may never have thought of faith but certainly need to meet Jesus. But on the other side, there's also the opportunity for us to find our place in God's mission in the household of God in those smaller groups that we are part of as a community of faith. And this, I think, uh, leads to a fairly significant question, which is this, who is going to lead those communities that make up our community of faith? And by leadership, I don't mean some sort of narrow definition of, of making decisions or of casting vision or of those sorts of things. I actually refer to what Paul refers to here in Ephesians chapter 4, who is going to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Who is going to do that? Who's going to be involved in the equipping? Who's going to be involved in the unifying Who's going to be involved in bringing people to maturity? And who's going to be involved in helping all of us attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Now, Paul has actually given us the answer, hasn't he? And just the, the verse before, verse 11. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to do all of that work. Which, of course, then asks the question, well, where are we going to find the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to do that work? Now, I don't have a particularly well-developed um, understanding or view of what's called the five-fold ministry here. I'm, I'm not exactly certain what Paul means, for instance, about apostles and prophets in the church. I'm not exactly certain how many of each of those types of roles you're supposed to have or <clears throat> what that means for us. But here's what I believe, and here's what I think we know. Jesus gives these people to the church. And when I think about Jesus as a gift giver, I have a hard time believing that Jesus would be cheap or minimalist in terms of his gifts. Uh, consider the, uh, the big-hearted generosity that we see exhibited in Jesus' ministry. Uh, and, and then lay on top of that the importance of the plan that God had given to him. Uh, the, the, uh, the reason why the father had sent him 
to restore, to renew the world, that everything might be placed beneath his feet. And then consider his love for the church, his bride, who he hopes to um, equip and to resource in order that the church might continue his work in the earth. The people, the followers of Jesus, who have been given the same task that the Father gave him. The, the group of people that Jesus declares that he will build so that the gates of hell cannot stand against it. Is Jesus going to resource the church in a minimalist way? Is Jesus going to say, listen, I know that there's lots and lots of communities of faith that make up the community of faith across the world, but we're a little bit light on in terms of apostles and prophets and evangelists right now. There's only a handful of pastors or teachers available right now, so you're just going to have to make do with just a few. I actually reckon that Jesus is fully generous as he resources his church with all that the church requires to lead and equip and train, to teach, uh, to bring people to unity and faith and knowledge, to lead to maturity, to help attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Christ's generosity, the, the generosity of the gifts required, the resourcing given, I think is really quite critical. And alongside of that then comes, I guess, one of uh, the, the kind of big Baptist principles. It's important in other denominations as well, but it's particularly significant uh, for Baptists. And it's the idea of every member ministry. Uh, or uh, kind of a more archaic term that you might be familiar with, the priesthood of all believers. The, the idea that every single person who's placed their faith in Jesus and who has been given the Holy Spirit as a sign of the, the new birth within us has been, uh, has been included in the mission of God, has their name written, not just in the book of life, but on the team sheet, so to speak. You're familiar with the team sheet? It's the list of the players who are eligible to play in a particular game. Uh, they may start, they may play different positions, they may play different amounts of time, but they are all on the sheet. And, and you and I, as followers of Jesus, who've been given the Holy Spirit, we're on the team sheet. At any point in time, we might be called upon by Jesus to get into the game. At any point in time, we might be starting. At any point in time, he may call on us to be part of what he is doing, both in the world, but also within the community of faith. Which is great, isn't it? But I think there's a couple things that keep us from taking that seriously or really, I guess, believing it. It sounds great in theory, doesn't it? That we're all on the team sheet, we can all play a part. And I think we can make sense that, you know, a smaller community of faith, you know, a, a household that we're a part of, to use Paul's imagery, uh, is easier to, to, to find our place than perhaps a, a large community of faith. But I believe that there are a couple of things that keep us from fully leaning into the opportunity that we have to find our place. And one of them is, I guess, our experience that ability precedes opportunity, that, that giftedness precedes involvement, that we have to de demonstrate and display our capacity before we are actually given an opportunity. And it's not hard to see why we think that. That's how our world works. If you are in the position to be hiring somebody, you're looking for an additional teacher for your school, or 
You're looking for some more administrative help in your business, or you're looking for someone to oversee your finances. You generally don't go and look for some nice person who has no skills or experience in that area and say, well, we'll kind of train you as you go. No, instead you look for someone who's been trained as a teacher to appoint to that role as a teacher. You look for someone who has administrative experience to put in that administrative role. You look for someone who has financial expertise to put in that financial role. So most of our life seems to revolve around this idea that ability precedes our opportunity. But in the economy of grace, the way that God has equipped the church, that's not how it works at all. And this, I think, leads into, um, I guess, a a second challenge for us to really lean into that space. And that is, I guess, what do we bring to the table? What do we bring to the table? The the question, if I can reframe it, is what what are my spiritual gifts? And and I'm not convinced that that's the right question to ask. And here's why. One of my uh, favorite passages in Scripture is Jeremiah chapter 1. Uh, In that passage, Jeremiah is called by God and appointed as a prophet to the nations. There's probably a little bit of a difference between the prophetic role that Jeremiah was called to uh, and uh, what Paul is speaking about in in chapter 4, but that's kind of an aside. Uh, Jeremiah's role was to speak truth to power. Uh, If you read through the entire book of Jeremiah, you find that that means that he spoke with kings, that he spoke with ambassadors from other nations, that the the word of the Lord to him was known not just in Jerusalem, not just amongst the the powerful and the, uh, the, the ones who made decisions, but it was actually known in the surrounding nations He was someone who spoke uh, truth to power and influenced foreign policy uh, and military decisions. He was was that significant. And so this call to become a prophet is really quite intriguing because his response to the Lord is this. Ah, sovereign Lord, which is great, isn't it? Ah, Lord who knows all things. The, The Lord who is sovereign and above all. I can't believe I have to remind you about this, but I am too young and do not know how to speak. He gives some excuses, kind of very similar and reminiscent of Moses, really. But here's the thing about those excuses. They were actually legitimate. They were legitimate, valid reasons why Jeremiah, on normal circumstances, particularly if ability precedes opportunity, why Jeremiah should not have been appointed as a prophet. We don't know how old he was when he received this call, but we know that his ministry extended over 40 years. So he was a young man when he began his ministry. And if you are going to speak truth to power, if you are going to address the movers and shakers and influencers, the rulers and governors of countries and of nations and of kingdoms, you generally don't send a kid. You remember the response to Greta Thunberg, uh, this young Swedish environmental uh, activist, when she spoke at the UN. Whether you agreed with what she had to say or not, there was a kind of a common theme in the reactions, wasn't there? She's so young. Does she really understand the way uh, politics and globalization and uh, economics impact what she's calling for? Oh, she could speak all right, but she's very young. She doesn't have the kind of experience that can really speak with the kind of respect and authority that perhaps we want. Jeremiah was a young man and he could not speak. And those are valid excuses. And here's why this is important. 
the excuses that you and I have, the reasons why God can't possibly use us, the reasons that we give for why we are not the right people to be part of equipping the saints, uh, bringing people to maturity and to unity in faith and knowledge uh, and helping people attain to the full measure of Christ Jesus. We have a, we have a long list. And our response is so often, ah, sovereign Lord, I can't believe I have to remind you about this, but here's my list of reasons. Here's my rationale. And those reasons are probably legitimate. You and I could probably get signed affidavits from people who know us well to say, you know what, this person is not really the right kind of person for that kind of ministry. And here's why this is so important. Because God's response to Jeremiah is the same response that he gives to us. And his response, if I can paraphrase, is this. Thus saith the Lord to your excuses. I don't care. Since when was it about you? If you have a look in Jeremiah chapter one, you'll see that that is a rough paraphrase. But essentially the Lord says to him, I, I, I don't really care that you're too young. I don't really care that you can't speak. You must go to who I send you to and you want, must speak the words that I will give you. He says, see, I've put my words in your mouth. In the economy of grace, God provides what we need when we need it. And the question is not, therefore, am I gifted? Because to ask the question of my giftedness, my ability, my experience, my expertise, whatever it might be, is to feed into that idea that ability precedes opportunity. The question is, are you available? Are you willing to say, I'm ready, coach, put me in? Are you ready to say yes to the opportunity that God presents to you? Not because you have the gifts and the skills and the capacity to, to knock it out of the park, but because you know that Jesus will give to you the gifts that you need. He will resource you generously so that you can participate in his plans and his purposes. So who's going to lead our communities that make up our community of faith? Who's going to step up in our households to equip the people of God for works of service so that the household of God may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Who is going to do that? It's you. It's you. Sitting there on your lounge or on your bedroom or around your kitchen table, right now looking to other side thinking I might be pointing to somebody else. It's you. If you are following Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been given to you and your name has been written on the team sheet. And there is an opportunity for each one of us to ask ourselves and to ask the Lord, how do you want to use me? How do you want to, uh, to, to equip me today to, to help build up the body of Christ? That we might all participate fully, not only in the restoring, the restoring work of God in our world, but also that we might contribute to the overall health and the benefit, the advantage and the growth of the households, the communities of faith that make up our entire community of faith. This is why I'm so excited 
about reimagining ourselves, not as one big community, but as a community of communities where every single one of us, even you, find your place in the mission and ministry of God, in the power and giftedness of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. The success of the church's mission is close to the heart of Jesus, and he will generously resource every household of faith with all that is necessary. You are part of his gift to the church. Are you available? Are you willing to say, I'm ready, coach, put me in? As we make ourselves available, we will all be given all we need to join in and help the community of faith become mature and attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Are you available? We'd love for you to join us again soon and to join us for church at gbconline.org.au at our regular service times of 8.30, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. You can also follow us on Facebook or visit our website at gaimiabaptist.org.au. Until next time, God bless.